In this episode of the Fine Art Photography Podcast, I'll read a bit of humor about love and photography from the 1891 issue of Wilson's Photographic Magazine. Hey everybody, Keith Dotson here, and I'm fascinated by what I find in antique photography magazines. If you dig deep enough on the internet, you can read the original published writings of luminaries like Herschel and Fox Talbot in the British Journal of Photography. You can get an idea of what the prevailing trends, passions, and concerns were at a given time in photo history. I recently discovered Wilson's Photographic Magazine, which was published in New York from 1889 to 1914, and then on to 1923 under a different title. The publisher was a photographer and author named Edward L. Wilson. Wilson's photographic magazine was significant because it was read by a burgeoning talent named Edward S. Curtis, who in a few years began his travels to photograph the remaining Native American tribes in the last vestiges of the Old West as it was being tamed. He became one of America's first rock star photographers. In reading through this magazine, I see a tension developing between pictorialists who wanted photography to be seen as an art equal to painting and those who thought that the fuzzy focus trend had gone too far. Pictorialists preferred soft focus imagery and a matte textured printing surface. In some ways, their work was a backlash to the glossy surface of albumin prints which had been widely used for decades but were seen by many as too glossy and garish. I published a podcast all about albumin prints in November of 2020 if you wanted to know more about that process. Photo journals of this era captured the excitement of photography, which was becoming a popular, common pastime. Kodak was producing consumer-level cameras that made it easy to make snapshots. They were advertising them in print magazines directed at tourists, especially encouraging them to carry a camera to the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, and the advertising apparently worked. That World's Fair experienced a new phenomenon, something called the Kodak Fiend, often directed at young women making portraits of friends all across the fairgrounds. They were using a box camera that was basically a black rectangle with a lens in one end, measuring about 6 inches by 7 inches by 10 inches. A Montauk camera, which figures prominently in the following lifestyle humor piece, was a similar camera made by a different company. The story mentions a place called Nahant. That's a tony beach town on what used to be an island before they built the causeway out to it. Uh, it's in New England. In fact, you can see the Boston skyline from the shore. I've read that Edward S. Curtis, the artist who photographed America's native tribes, I mentioned him before, rejected these smaller consumer cameras and opted instead for a bigger, bulkier, more difficult, large format camera that still used dry plate glass negatives. He wanted the sharpness and detail only possible from a larger format, and that was a good decision on his part. One more thing, the story mentions the McKinley Bill. That's the McKinley Tariff passed in 1890. In a period of protectionism similar to what we've experienced in this country recently, it placed duties of up to 50% on imports with the intention of protecting American industry. The result was a steep increase in prices for the American consumer, harsh reactions from trading partners overseas, and a big voter backlash against the pro-tariff Republican Party, which received a resounding thumping in the next election. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, no further ado, here we go. The full text from a column called Sketchy Experiences in the January 3rd, 1891 edition of Wilson's Photographic Magazine. Sketchy Experiences by a New Contributor I find a little piece of intelligence in the December number of the Boston Law and Gospel, which is calculated to give consolation to all who have a kindly leaning toward the fitness of things. It runs thus. Last summer at Nahant, a young lady appeared at one of the fashionable hotels with a Montauk hand camera swung over her shoulder. In a few days after, all accident of course, her betrothed lover appeared with a Kodak under his arm, nearest to his heart. They quarreled and he broke the engagement. He could not marry anyone who would use a Montauk made in a city of uncertain population and the headquarters for MPA paper. Now the jury awards her $1,000 in breach of promise suit. The fair damsel, of course, did perfectly right in holding on to her Montauk. She would have splashed her courage of conviction, one of the greatest charms of her sex, all into a saturated solution had she done otherwise. What a painful lack of true grit she would have shown also. Of course, it's not always easily seen why one person holds so tenaciously to one kind of a camera, while his next best friend as persistently clings to another. But if the lady had preferred the Montauk, she was heartily commended for sacrificing everything for it. I have known one's favorite camera cause him to do the most strange things imaginable. I've been there my own self, but is it not correct? Is it not right? In the case in question, the lover was unquestionably in the wrong. In breaking his engagement with her because she was manly enough to lift up her voice in favor of the Montauk when it was her choice. He proved he was considerable of a donkey, a swain who conducts a courtship as he evidently did to the motto, I could not love thee, dear, so much. Loved I the Kodak not much more. Writes himself down in large, distinct light and shade as an animal of the sort I've named and leaves all our camera clubs in doubt as to his integrity. Why such a man would steal a roll holder out of a dead soldier's pocket on the field of battle. Any attempt to introduce the camera into love and courtship ought to be sternly frowned down upon us all. Our politics, our religion, and our photography we are all individually and alone accountable for and should be allowed to choose unbiased for ourselves. Some people think photography is too much discussed in society now anyway, particularly are the people of Asheville still of this mind. Once every year, the nation is thoroughly torn up from ocean to ocean by the convention and exhibition of the P.A. of A., and in the months between, some of us hear nothing else. Perhaps we should not object to this in our photographic societies, but let the photographic line be drawn somewhere. Let it be drawn at courtship. If you will, it is desirable, and at the new year beginning is a good time to begin, that the young American should be taught that he must enter into the drawing room of the hotel parlor where the idol of his soul is awaiting him, whispering to himself, he who enters here leaves photography behind. If the donkey of whom or of which the law and the gospel tells had not been injured to the focus of $1,000, others of his kind in whom photography is so strong and the camera prejudice so mighty might feel encouraged to imitate his wretched example. As a consequence, the dry plate maker and the apparatus producer will suffer. There was a time when young lovers used to spend their time in singing duets, 
playing croquet, reading Lala Rook, getting up amateur theatricals, discussing Browning, swinging on the front gate, and in similar lighthearted employments because the detective camera did not assail them from all sides. Happily, by agreement, this annoyance has ceased in some quarters. Shall lovers now begin to take such a profound mutual interest in cameras that if one of them cheers for one, the other will proceed to break the engagement if that one is not the one he is focusing? It may be said that the girl in question began the row by cheering for the Montauk, but that's nonsense. The man, that is to say the donkey, was at fault for taking the cheer seriously. What he ought to have done, and would have done if he had been another sort of a created being, was to cheer for her cheering, without, of course, modifying his own camera convictions. If he had pursued that tolerant, generous-hearted policy, it's more than likely that the girl would have been so infatuated with his chivalrous nobility of character that she would have renounced the Montauk on the spot and have embraced the Kodak. As it is, the two are separated. The young donkey has given up photography on account of the McKinley bill, and the traveling salesmen of several stock dealers are after the young lady, pestering her to invest her $1,000 heart money in printing frames inlaid with mother of pearl and in a burnisher made of aluminum. Well, that's the end of that. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll be back soon with a podcast about Edward S. Curtis, and I hope you'll be looking forward to that. And I'll talk to you again real soon. <laughs>